Hey, I'm Jesse. Welcome to our final week of devotions for the Fulfillment series. Our study of the Gospel of Matthew has been going for, let's see, I think this is, this is week 22 or 21. Wow. This is it. With this Saturday's devotion, today's Monday, I think, if you're watching this in conjunction with the Redemption Church, uh, or, if you, or if you watch your devotions uh, Monday through Saturday, this will be the final week. Uh, Saturday's devotion will be the final one, and this will lead us directly into uh, our next series. It's going to be three weeks long studying uh, uh, evangelism, just kind of practically applying what we've seen here uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. And then we'll begin studying the, the prophet Isaiah uh, three weeks after that for the Redemption Church. That's on uh, beginning going to begin February 26th. So let's look at Matthew chapter 27, verse 27. Okay, all these people uh, have, have demanded that Barabbas be released, and then they hand Jesus over to be flogged, and they hand him over to be crucified, and that brings us to Matthew 27, 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the governor's residence and gathered the whole company around him. They stripped him and dressed him in a scarlet robe. They twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and placed a staff in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews! Then they spat on him, took the staff, and kept hitting him on the head. After they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. The clothes that Jesus was wearing, both before this and then again after this, are of some debate, because it's believed that could have been what he had on as he was later, uh, yeah, as he was later taken to the cross. There, there's a belief that he was the, placed into a burial shroud, and we think that we may have found that shroud. It's called the Shroud of Turin, spelled T-U-R-I-N. The credibility of the Gospels doesn't hinge upon that being the Shroud of Turin. It's just possible. Uh, it's cool if it is. But this, this text describes the, the, the brutal unfairness of the trial that the governor would have now, 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 now have gotten his hands dirty in all of this. He stood before the governor and was asked, are you the king of the Jews? That's what the governor asked him. And then Jesus said, you say so. That's, that's in 27 verse 11. And he's being accused by the chief priests, but he doesn't answer. He's gone to Pilate. Uh, but he didn't answer even one charge. The governor was actually amazed at Jesus' silence. We've seen somebody from the house of Herod. We've seen Pilate. We've seen Caiaphas. We've seen Annas. We've seen the, high, the, the, the chief priest. And now we see the governor. Like everybody, all in a, in a, a really busy night. They're all trying, to, they're all trying to, to enact this thing so that they, ironically enough, so that the Jewish people can observe, uh, can, can observe the word of God. And, and they're trying to get other people's hands dirty. They can see that Pilate, who does not have a moral compass, he does not have a logos, he does not have a clear sense of conviction, he doesn't have an authoritative source of what is true and what is not. Pilate is a relativist, and the crowd uses this. Now, in the presence, the very residence of the governor, surrounded by a great company of people who ought to have been bastions of justice, Instead, he's stripped down and he's put in a scarlet robe. The, the crown of thorns that's placed on his head is to mock him because he is the king of the Jews. They say, hail the king of the Jews. They even kneel down before him. 
Here's what's ironic about that. In fact, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Above him there is no other. They kneel mockingly and they spit on him. We saw this in last week's devotions as well. A lot of spitting going on. It's really grotesque. They take the staff and they keep hitting him on the head. So he's wearing the crown of thorns. He's being struck on the head. Can you imagine the brutality of that? How these massive thorns would have penetrated Jesus's scalp and caused the blood to flow. And so then he's stripped of the robe and he's put, he has his own clo- uh, clothes put back on him. And now the very next text describes the coming, uh, d- describes the coming crucifixion. It is, it is a mockery uh, that he would be given this robe and this crown and this scepter and then ridiculed. It is a, it is a full-on denial of Jesus' messianic claims. Do not belittle the denial of Jesus. If you think that Jesus was delusional in his claims, you hold to the same stance on Jesus as the people who put him in a robe, put a scepter in his hands, put a crown of thorns on his head. You might think to yourself, Jesse, I would not have partaken in the the brutality of that riotous mob, but you hold to the same interpretation of Jesus's claims, that you would mock him, that you think that he's a nice guy, that he's a healer, but you don't think he's the son of God. This puts you in line with the ethic, with the interpretation of this crowd that he only claimed to be God, and he wasn't. He only claimed to be truly royalty, but was not. Don't belittle a denial of Jesus' messianic lordship as though it were a small thing. It means that you're calling Jesus a liar, that he came and claimed to be the Son of Man, this fulfillment of Daniel 7, this fulfillment of ancient prophecy, and you're saying, nope, you're not. You're a liar or you're delusional about yourself. That was exactly what the mob believed. We look, at, we look at historical events and we're like, I wouldn't have been on the wrong side of history. I would have been one of the good guys. But you can't say with any authority how you would have responded. You know, because evidently everybody who's present here, man, they, they gave it. The, the, the only people who were actually with Jesus were the ones who had scattered. Peter's here, but he's just three times denied Jesus. Peter was there that night and he adamantly twice insisted that he would never leave Jesus. In fact, he would die before he betrayed Jesus. And now even he three times has denied Jesus. So you can't look at this mob that believes the same thing that you do if you deny that Jesus is Lord. You just think of him as a good guy, a nice teacher, even a miracle worker and nothing more. You can't say with any authority that you wouldn't have given into the same kind of riotous mob mentality. Either way, even if you didn't, it's just as bad to simply say that, no, Jesus claims to be God, but I don't believe him. I think he's full of it. I think he's lying. If you then align with this mob, would you consider the sufferings of Christ? Would you consider the injustice of it all? Look to Christ and his willingness to endure rather than calling upon the 72,000 or 144,000 angels who could have come to him at any moment, behold Jesus' willingness to endure this, never speaking in his own defense. Those who denied him were given what they thought was their way with him to publicly ridicule, mock his claims of royalty, and then eventually crucify him between two criminals. That's, That's the next text that we get to. There's no neutrality when it comes to what you believe about Jesus. 
These are the people who denied his lordship. These are the people who mocked him. This is what it is to reject Christ. It is to make a mockery of his divine claims. He will not defend himself to you. He owes you no such explanation. You think that you have him on trial, but the truth is you will stand in judgment before him. If you are like those who would mockingly take a knee, consider the wrath that you incur for yourself because you'll have no words to say in your own self-defense. This is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord or are you like the mob that mocked him? You either believe that he's Lord or you, like this mob, think he's delusional, think that he's lying. I want to pray for you as you share the gospel with people because we cannot leave room for neutrality. We cannot just assume that others will confess Jesus as Lord without us having told them. How can they call upon the God they've not believed in? How can they believe unless they hear? How can they hear unless someone preaches to them? How can they preach unless they are sent? This leads us to our next series, but this text provides the urgency for what is to come. There's no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. You're either saved or you're like this crowd. Let's go before him. God, I lift up the members of the Redemption Church and I lift up those who use JCM curriculum and I pray, God, that we would be convicted when we see our reflections in this crowd. God, I lift up those whose coworkers and family members and neighbors Lord, resemble these who would mock you, who would place a crown of thorns on your head rather than place their crowns at your feet, who would mockingly put you in a scarlet robe, Lord, rather than acknowledge that you are indeed king. There is no neutrality here. We've all sinned. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And by our nature, by our depravity, we are more prone to act like the crowd that mocked you God. So would we, with brutal self-introspection and honesty, see that, confess our sin, and confess the beautiful truth, Jesus is Lord. By the power of the Holy Spirit, may we confess it all and be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.